Hello and welcome to That Film Stew. I'm Jason. And I'm Luke. In this episode, we've got another movie review, and this time we're looking at Batman, The Long Halloween, Part 2. Directed by Chris Palmer, Batman, The Long Halloween, Part 2 is the animated superhero film produced by Warner Brothers Animation and DC Entertainment. The film is available now, but if you haven't watched Batman, The Long Halloween, Part 2 yet, and you want to, go watch it first before listening to our full review. We will be talking spoilers. This is our review of the second part of Batman The Long Halloween. We did our review of part one, which we assume you have both listened to our review and watched that film. Um, This second half concludes the story adapted from the DC comic storyline of the same name, a 13-issue limited series written by Jeff Loeb with art by Tim Sale, published in 1996 and 1997. Luke, you have the plot. Batman continues to pursue a serial killer with the assistance of police officer James Gordon and district attorney Harvey Dent. But as the killer continues to stalk the criminal family, the Falcons, Harvey Dent gets caught between the fronts. Batman suspects that a former ally might be the serial killer. Of course we did part one. And do you know what? I just got to say, in retrospect... We probably should have done this as one whole room, as just one single review. Because, you know, we this this second part is really the second half of this movie. Um, I mean, uh, straight, uh, tonally, it's the same. The story literally continues and then concludes. Um, you know, we've pretty much got the, the majority of the same cast, bar a few... Um, new characters and therefore new voice actors but essentially yeah this is if we look back we could say part one part two it's one big long ass movie but should we should we do just a quick catch up on part one i can't i can barely remember what i actually officially said and gave a rating for part one uh well um, before we want to go any further i want to say i disagree this movie has been put out in two parts I'm going to buy this movie (laughs) in two parts. And I don't know why, for the longest time, and I'm talking years, JB Hi-Fi for new release Blu-rays of these DC animated movies, $20. This one, they've decided to put it at $25. So I'm assuming we've not got a release date for physical media for part two yet, although it is available digitally. They're going to want another $25 from me. So if I'm putting down $50... For part one and part two, they're two movies. <laughs> okay, I'm fair seeing, enough. I'm seeing <laughs> to this justify scene. that. <laughs> it it is it is two movies. I think what caught us by surprise, and I think it kind of happened on the podcast. I was generally <laughs> taken aback by how soon part two was going to be out because we're talking maybe four weeks, which is crazy. It's, a, it's, it's been a month. It's been a month. I mean, DC have done this before. They made. Batman Dark Knight Returns, we got part one. And then later, we got part two. And eventually, they did re-release it as one long feature. But what a quick turnaround from part one to part two. Now, I'm going to say this. I remember liking part one. And if I had time, I was going to re-watch part one today ahead of watching part two. And I'd... I didn't have time to do part one, 
But I watched part two today and it's for the second time because I remember really liking that first part and then something about that first viewing, I didn't feel too satisfied and it felt like some things were kind of just happening, like characters would just pop up. But if you think about it as being one film, they're reappearing. But when you've got distance between part one and part two, it felt like, I don't know, like when Joker appears. So, so it's too, what you're saying now too, is, is no, when Joker appears, would work better as one. <laughs> yes, but it's not one. They decided to put it out as two parts, so we're going to review it yes, as two parts. But in this one, sure. part two, Joker just pops up. No fanfare. But we've had more time with Joker in part one a month ago when we watched and reviewed it. I do get your reasoning that it does play like one movie because it was one series of comics. But they, they did it. They called it part two. And that's how we'll review it. For sure. I mean, at the end of the day, really, it's semantics. It, it doesn't really matter. I mean, having two, two plastic cases with the cool artwork that if you put it together kind of looks pretty, pretty nifty. Um, so I do look forward to that. But yeah, essentially, for the, for the sake of actually talking about the films, it is, there's a clear through line. I mean, even watching that first, that first one, you know, it does skip time, obviously quite frequently every time there's a new sort of holiday. So any sort of, any sort of jarring distance of time between the end of that first part and the start of this one is very natural in line with the rest of the, the two films. Uh, it, it really just places itself right at the end. I want to talk about the, um, the, the Poison Ivy... I guess post credit scene at the end of that first movie Me too. and I speculated, I was like, they're going to just repeat it at the beginning of this one, or we're going to get some sort of very clear catch up. And they don't really, they kind nothing. of just let nothing. That is a good place to start because I said, when we reviewed part one, that poison Ivy being in that movie was a post credit scene. Some people may have turned it off and it ends up being, pretty integral to the opening of this movie because you're right like almost as if it's one movie there's no recap there's no nothing it just <laughs> continues and we've got so this movie if you've not seen part one which would be a massive mistake but this movie opens and you find that poison ivy has been controlling bruce wayne for three months that is a big chunk of time but without seeing that post credit scene, you're going to be like, where'd she come from? I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. But I mean, again, because every time a new holiday, like, we do jump in time quite frequently. So there is usually a lot of events that we need to sort of get caught up on every time that does kind of happen. So I don't know. It wouldn't be completely out of place to then suddenly start this. But I do think that scene at the end of that first that first film is important. I don't know. It should like, have been the end of the movie. And I thought that when we watched part one and watching part two, it's like, yeah, well, it definitely yeah, should have uh, been. Yeah. Because this essentially is the long Halloween. So we're going to go through all the holidays in the year and get caught back up again, go all the way around. Three months for Batman to be out of action. 
That is a lot of time. Alfred's there, also under Ivy's spell. But you've got Gordon on the roof, flicking on the bat signal, no Batman. And he's signing away his assets. I just think three months is a hell of a lot of time since you're out of action. <laughs> Saying that, though, Dark Knight Rises, eight years? That was longer. Ridiculous. <laughs> it was no longer. I always look Batman. back. I always look back at that Dark Knight trilogy and I'm like, Bruce Wayne was Batman for like a period of like two years and that's it. He was and then he would get a statue. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. Um, once again, though, this, you know, the second half, like one, one key takeaway I get from, from watching this is just like just seeing the, the obvious influences that like Christopher Nolan took from, from this, this comic series um, when making his his trilogy, um, and then other you know other Batman movies since you know, same sort of deal, but this one yeah was a heavy influence just building that world, and again you see it. Um, the Falcone family is the if they weren't a big focus in that first part, I mean they essentially are the main focus in the second half. Like literally every holiday in this half is is about one of their family members getting knocked off. Yeah. They're having, a, they're having a bad run. They're having a bad second half of the year. You know, what I did this time that I didn't do for part one, because we kind of had some lingering questions, more so how it differed from the original source material. So I did look and get some comparisons. What we'd missed on that first review and some of the differences that we're, that we're getting here. There's no role for the Riddler. Admittedly, he only played a minor role in, in the comic, but he's someone that they chose to, to leave out. In this film, you've got the GCPD investigating Bruce Wayne, thinking he might be the holiday killer. You know what? Remember that first movie? And we were both saying, it'd be too obvious if it was Gilda. Can't be her. The biggest. I even made a joke. The biggest. Before I sat down to watch this, was <laughs> messaging jokingly, being like, "Can't wait to find out that it's Gilda because yeah. that would be ridiculous." You know what? The biggest letdown of part one and part two, <sighs> and you know, we're away away yet from our rating. There's no mystery. There is no mystery because. It's obvious in that first movie that it's Gilda. And, and I think I said it on the review. The only what? reason why you'd think it wasn't Gilda is because the movie's pretty much telling you that it's Gilda. It's supposed to be a mystery. So it's yeah, leaning it's... towards her as being the obvious candidate. But at the same time, whenever you see this dark, mysterious figure, looks like a bloke every time. Moves like a bloke, looks like a bloke. They were more mysterious in the comics. Yeah. You mostly just saw the hand and the gun. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this this reveal is not given to us officially until the very end of, like, before the credits, but the very end of the movie. And there's a whole lot. I mean, there's a lot of other reveals and twists. I think this, the same sort of approach, I mean, the, the Gilda thing... It was obvious in like a very non-obvious way. Like she was such an unlikable character. I mean, I said that in that review of the, of the first part that I was like a little part of me wanted it to be her just because I'm like, 
I, she looks like she just seems like that kind of asshole kind of character that would be killing people. But having said that, that's a ridiculous statement to make that it couldn't possibly have been her. Cause I was like, no, nah, like why would it? Yeah. I don't know. It was just, like you said, they, they made no attempt to try and not make it. Her. It's really, Even though it's still, a, it, it's, it's still bizarre. kind of a silly. Because mm. it's supposed to be, it's a murder mystery. Like there's this holiday killer. Batman's trying to track down who it is. Again, at one point, Bruce Wayne is suspected. Harvey Dent, you know, they're going through all these other people. Like in the comics, right, the killer was actually Alberto, who we saw die in part one. So they clearly ruled that out. And Gilda was the second holiday killer, the accomplice. Mm. Because we do find but out then, in this one right. that they were lovers. Alberto's family split them up. She was made to have an abortion. So you do get like there's you know there's trauma there for her. You know, she's you get what's driving her. And then all she wanted was the Falcones to be taken down. And that's what first attracted her to Harvey Dent. Because he was someone in power that could maybe help her exact her revenge. But over time, she fell in love with him. So they do actually form a character here. And I found her less irritating. But I think from memory, she's yeah. in part two less than she was part one. <laughs> that helps. That could, that Although could she's, she pops up every, you know, every few minutes. But we just I mean, don't she's really in realize it. it's her. And one of the last <laughs> scenes is with her. And because we find Batman knows that it was her. And yeah. Harvey also knew Big that he was her. Well, that's why, I mean, uh, Harvey Dent, uh, you know, we've got the origins of Two-Face here. We've got his character. He's a major, there's a big focus on him throughout this second part, like to the point where it's really trying to push that Harvey Dent is, is, is the killer and, you know. Batman's like, yeah, like it's it's him. Let's let's take him down, and then to the point where it's like he goes down, pretty much for it. But because he knows, it, as we as we find out, he knows that it's it's really Gilda Dawn, and he's and trying to obviously yeah. save face. <laughs> mm. And on uh, that, I yes, <laughs> a new origin for his coin. So in this version. Carmine Falcone, he's the one that first gives the coin to a young Bruce. And then you've got the connection between Thomas Wayne and the mob. He was fixing them up. Bruce as a kid. And then later on, obviously Falcone knows that Bruce is Batman because they say they have that same exchange they have when Bruce was a little kid. The double-headed coin gets passed on to Harvey. But with Two-Face, there's a big distinction there's a big difference for me in how he is here. And I guess it's more in line with the Christopher Nolan interpretation. There's not really a dual personality. And that's the whole thing with Two-Face. Like he's, he's always fighting within himself. Like he's both Harvey and Two-Face. And the coin is what he often uses yeah. to, to, Whereas, to make the decisions for, for him. Yeah. Whereas in this, it's like he's... He's sort of having that, like that that dual personality thing is happening before he becomes Two Face, and then you know, like through that the, the voice that keeps coming through to him and telling him things, and then the voice and takes over. Like, the and voice takes face, over, and Two Face is like, Harvey's not here. He's gone. Yeah, 
So he's not really one face. Yeah. Like the second, the first face is gone and he's only the second face. So he's one face, bloody one face. I did like the detail. (laughs) I I don't think I've noticed it in, in the portrayal of two face before how they, they disfigured his teeth. Like they made him jagged. Mm, when he became two-faced because yeah. normally visually it's just it's half his face whereas that was an extra bit of detail that added which I, I thought that was that was pretty cool I've not necessarily seen that before at least not in animation but we get an extensive scarecrow hallucination scene which was pretty cool the whole thing with scarecrow it doesn't matter what interpretation you go with is quite menacing until he isn't all you've got to do is knock <laughs> his mask off and it happens in this movie as well. But Scarecrow, yeah. like, he's doing his thing. And you know, he does get Batman in this movie. Catwoman ends up coming to his rescue in Crime Alley. He mistakes her for his mother. That's the thing that happens. That's <laughs> all, yeah. She rescues him. Awkward, <laughs> takes him back to Wayne Manor. You know, Catwoman in this and part one. I don't know if your take is the same as this, but... She's very different. She's very different. At one point, Batman says to her, I've told you I don't want a partner. And I definitely do get that she wants she wants to be with him. But this is a different kind of Catwoman where she's always been a character that's out for herself. She's got the flirtatious relationship with Batman, but it's always like hot and cold. Whereas this, yeah. it's almost like there's times where she's going out of her way to be the hero and to be there for him. And it just seemed... I don't know, a little out of character for me. It kind of makes Batman seem more like a douche <laughs> because of that. It, like, she's the one initiating things and then, you know, trying to, like, it, it, seeming genuine with her approach to him that when he uh, sort of dismisses her, it's, it's like, ah, oh, come on, mate, just come on. Come on. Cat. Um, you know, years, years ago when I first yeah. read The Long Halloween, I didn't quite get the where it fit in the timeline. But this takes place not long after the year one storyline. So I always knew that we've got Batman young in his career with this story, but I didn't realize how early in his career it was. And I think it was part one. It made a reference to the fact that, oh, I'm going to have to be a detective. He thought it was going to be just out there using his hands. It's kind of, it's interesting because if you look at, you know, this is, being set in this new shared continuity of um, animated films. Um, and it's like, you know, we've, we've just had like the, pretty much the early, the very early days of, of Superman. And now we've got this early days of Batman where essentially he has sort of become, uh, I guess, a known figure in society to the point where a kid is rocking up to his mansion, trick or treating as, as Batman. So it's sort of like it's it's interesting because it fits into this larger world of like okay Batman's just established himself yes. he kind of is you know a cape crusader a known figure he's a personality he's he's out there and yeah and it's like okay cool sets him up to join you know join up with the Justice League and go on many more adventures. Right. Okay, let's let's talk about the larger world then, and then we'll come back to the Falcones and everybody else. I said, didn't I? Just based on the animation style of part one 
this looks very much like it fits within the continuity of Superman Man of Tomorrow, which was the first movie in this rebooted uh, DC animation series of films. Again, with Justice Society World War II. And if you go back to Superman Man of Tomorrow, Lois Lane had a photo of Batman. See, it had already been shown then. I talked about it on our review that the long Halloween was supposed to be the first film that they released of this so new shared just, continuity. Just correct me. Did we know that this was shared when we talked about the first part? Or, or were I we did. still speculating? No, no, I was, okay. I was sure. I was sure just based on the visual style of it. But again, you were just speculating, obviously with, with strong evidence, but... Well, yeah, Nothing was actually I did, but when I was researching it, I did find just what I just said there, that this was intended to be the first of a new series of shared continuity. And I talked about that okay. on, on part one. But I forget everything. There's no, <laughs> there's no mistake in the animation style because, you know, we compared it at the time when we did Man of Tomorrow to like the show Archer, you know, where it's sort of like it's clean animation, but like thick character lines, thick, like lines. thick black lines. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the opening of part one and part two of Long Halloween, we do get Tim Sale's art, which is excellent. And as good as his art looks there, you can see why they wouldn't adapt it. But even more so, it's a shared continuity. Can I ask I mean, there you? Were, there was... Can yeah, I ask? Sorry, yep. Did you watch the post credit scene on this film? I did. I mean, I, I don't know what, how much more evidence you would need. I mean, it's clearly <laughs> Flash... <laughs> And the design from like from oh, like one hundred percent the other movies. I'm not questioning anything anymore. I'm like, yeah, no, one hundred percent. The um, is if it Flash and Green Arrow that, that show up? Yes, it's Flash and Green, green Arrow. Arrow as well. Yeah. A, a cool looking Green Arrow. If you're someone listening to this, you've watched the movies parts one and two, and you've not seen the post credit scene. You've got Alfred. So one of the last scenes you mentioned already is the little kid dressed as Batman. So that's the end of the movie. The post credit scene, there's another, there's another dot. The post credit scene, there's another knock at the door. Alfred answers. No dialogue from the heroes, but it's the Flash and Green Arrow stood there. And then you've got Alfred remarking, it's for you, sir. And it's the start of like something else. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm still surprised that they so quickly after ending a shared continuity with Justice League Dark Apocalypse War just went right back into, into another one. And even knowing they were doing that with both Man of Tomorrow and Justice Society, I kind of thought, like Batman's Soul of the Dragon, Long Halloween would be a standalone, even though it was a two-parter. But no, it's part of a bigger thing. <laughs> and and now, I, I mean, come on, we, we know that it is at this point. It definitely is. And I'm okay with it. I'm really okay with it. I like, you know, Jensen Ackles as Bruce Wayne Batman. I'm, I'm liking the cast in this. I'm liking, you know, the rogues gallery we've already got for Batman like, and using that same animation style from the other films. It's a good foundation to say the, build on. Like the rogues gallery that we you know, that we see in this. And so, you know, you get Penguin, Mad Hatter, like there's a few like fun faces and the designs are great. Like they were cool little moments. So 
if this is the Batman world that we're going to get going forward in this shared continuity, like very, very, very cool. Um, I just think very ballsy to be like the Batman that we're going to have in future movies going forward in this shared thing with Superman and that flash and green arrow and whoever else is tagging along. Um, that they're going like we're having a, a, a real detective Batman, you know, like the the long Halloween story is very much he's solving a serial killer crime, you know. He's not even though there's still like the Joker and all these other bonkers nuts running around. It's he's still like he's dealing with the mob. It's that very grounded story again, like you know, like Christopher Nolan approach to to the world. It would almost be as if you know, you take that Christopher Nolan world and then it was like, that Batman ends up meeting up with Superman. It's like, whoa, that's weird. I think it's very ballsy that they're taking that that Batman and being like, let's let's do it. Let's team him up with Superman and not have it as a, you know, they've moved away from having that decision of being like, this is a standalone one and done, which would work as that. But I think it's pretty nutty. Yeah, but it does, it does work though, but... I mean, the next movie, I'm pretty sure it's the next one after this. It's the adaption of the Injustice game. That's got that would be to be a standalone. Sure. has to be. I mean, it's Unless essentially the... Evil Superman. That's where they Unless go with like that story. Some... has to yeah, be a standalone. There could be like some flash hijinks and stuff like that. No, I, I mean, who knows at this point? To be honest, that, who knows? What <laughs> That's it. Well, you, you've got That's to it. think that Soul of the Dragon is an example of every now and then they're going to do a standalone. Like they'll they'll still do it, but it's so. Isn't it weird that it, like again, if you would have a year ago, if you would have put money on it, you would say, "Oh, Soul of the Dragon potentially could be," you know, especially if you, you remember the synopsis. You know, it's sort of Batman in his heyday, sort of becoming. Batman just in a different sort of way, and then this is like it's also in the you'd 70s. think this would be the yeah well yeah that that kind of takes out of it but I'm like this would be the one that you'd say this would be the standalone yeah no definitely just, definitely it wasn't yeah, until totally it's it wasn't until pressing play on part one and seeing the animation style I'm like yeah now this is definitely a part of a shared continuity because that that have gone out of their way to give it an individual look. Maybe not quite as unique as Tim Sale, because again, that would be hard to animate, but they wouldn't have just made it look like those recent films. Anyway, let's go back to the actual film and the plot. The film features a supervillain-filled rampage in downtown Gotham. That's what I was talking about earlier, where for the first time in part two, the Gotham, the Joker just pops up and he's, he's just there, like no funfair, no introduction, but we've seen him in part one and, and here he is. Only now he's teamed up with Poison Ivy, Mad Hatter, Scarecrow's there, you've got Solomon Grundy, the Penguin. It's all happening. So I did like seeing the rogues gallery. That's always fun when you're watching a Batman movie. Oh, later, <laughs> on, later on with Catwoman, she reveals... But she reveals, she's she's very open in these films, like with with Batman, like with a secret <laughs> identity and and with with yeah. her past. And what she reveals, which in the comics didn't happen until the the Dark Victory storyline, which was the sequel to the Long Halloween, so they're getting a bit ahead of themselves 
with this. But the reason why Catwoman was so interested in the Falcone family, Selena believed that she was Carmine's illegitimate daughter. So that's like adding was it, an extra layer. Was it that she believed it or that she really was? I wasn't too clear. Like I, I figured she said it. She it must be correct, right? I'd say Carmine's response at first. He said her mother's name, and then she went to leave, and then you know Batman's just like Selena, not Catwoman, Selena, <laughs> and that's when Carmine says her name back, and that's almost for me is like recognition that ah, oh, it's run. So if he'd not said what he said, if he didn't say her name, then maybe she was just speculating and we weren't going to get any confirmation. But in this continuity, it does seem like she actually is the illegitimate daughter. And that's why she was trying to protect him. But then the film ends with Bruce, Selena, starting a romantic relationship together. And then, as you've said, little kid in the Batman costume. That's the, that's the end of the movie. And we've had it in comics lately where they very much are in a relationship. Bruce and Selina were to get married at one point. I think maybe a year ago in the comics. But things change quickly in comic books. Yeah, that's it. Things will develop. We'll see. But this world, we've got a young, a young Batman in a relationship with Catwoman. And the movie ends with the Flash and Green Arrow turning up. So that's going to take us somewhere in future but before we get there if you're going to rate this movie out of five let me ask you what you will rate this movie out of five. Oh, i thought i did a good segue there okay i yeah. i watched this twice for a reason because i felt like i didn't get enough out of that first viewing i thought okay maybe for whatever reason i wasn't in the right mood or for whatever it may be so i had a second viewing and looking online, most people favor part two over part one. I probably, I'd lean more to enjoying part one as a better movie that gave me a lot more. Maybe it's because it was setting a lot of things up and, you know, we're getting a conclusion with this, this part. I mean, it, I do definitely want to watch them back to back and, and watch it as a single movie. But if I'm going to rate part two, I'm not going to come in as high as I did with part one. And even though it was a month ago, I'm thinking, what did I rate that movie? I'm I can't remember. I can't remember. I'm honestly movie. thinking I came in at a four with that first one. There was a lot that I liked about it. With this one, and again, I watched it twice to make sure it's getting rave reviews online. I did like it, but I, I'm not going to quite come in at a four. I'm going to come in a little bit lower. Maybe I could come to regret it when I watch them as a whole, but I'm going to come in at a 3.5. Yeah, do you know, I think, from memory, I think I also gave part one a four. Maybe I did it. I don't know. I don't know. But whatever it was, let's say, let's let's go with a four um, for that one. With this one, well, at least, I guess, to to explain it, comparing to the first. The first one, I think the, the main fault I gave it was that, Overall, the movie was a bit slow, even though they were dealing with such, uh, I guess, more mature subject matter. But overall, it was a it was a streamlined story. Like everything was leading to something. They were really setting the stage 
for, for summer. Everything was sort of set up. It was a really good first half of a Batman story. Um, you know, the detective Batman. In this, we're getting that conclusion. It's very much the same movie, same tones, all of that. I do feel like a lot of the reveals and what we learn, there's something a little bit more disjointed about this one that doesn't, it's not as clean all the way through. We're still getting, you know, there's a lot of talky scenes, there's a lot of slow moments, fine, you know, for a, for a Batman movie. You know, there's a bit of action, but it's not, it's not over the top and crazy like you would normally want. But again, like the reveal of Gilda being, you know, like the killer, the weird Catwoman reveal. It's like, okay, all these things are being revealed to us, but it's, I'm like, but where are these coming from? And like, what's really justifying? They just didn't feel like satisfying moments to sort of cap this off. It's still fairly decent, but like you, I'm coming in at 3.5. So just whatever I gave part one, this is slightly lower. So I don't know. <laughs> I think it yeah, was a I think, four. Yeah, no, I, I'm I pretty, know. even though it was only a month ago, we've done a lot of shows from now and then, until then, or until now, should I say. We've done, we've done a lot of shows since then, but I think we did, yeah, both come in at a, at a four. We need to okay. track it better somehow. <laughs> I mean, we could have just quickly, yeah, yeah. but uh, that's fine. Talking. But either way, we're not we're not talking that movie. We're talking this movie, and yeah, just as a film part two. Yeah, yeah, three three point five. Like yourself, I'll I'll be curious to watch the whole part one, part two, back to back as one feature, and see if it flows, if it works better as a whole piece without that time in between. Remove that. Like, yeah, we'll see how we go. See how we go. And I will watch, the, yeah, I will, as soon as we get it on physical media, I'll sit down and I'll watch part one and part two. And I hope I enjoy watching as a single feature because it would have cost me at that point $50. No, just wait for a <laughs> sale. Um, all right, we'll close up on a bit of trivia here. And um, yeah, we didn't, even, we didn't even name check it, but Katie Sackoff um, is providing the voice of Poison Ivy in this film. Now, this is her fifth project based on a comic book, um, also her third DC project and her second animated Batman movie after portraying a 2099 version of Black Cat in Spider-Man Edge of Time in 2011, Detective Sarah Essen in Batman Year One from 2011, She-Hulk in the Superhero Squad show from 2009, and Blacksmith in The Flash from 2014. So she's, uh, yeah, she likes her comic book roles. And she could also be seen in Star Wars, The Mandalorian. There you go. She's comic book. I know, but it's genre work and she had Battlestar Galactica all those years ago. I do like okay. Katie Sackhoff. It's good to hear that she's, yeah, no, she's, cool. she's still consistently she's working. working. <laughs> but you know, I think we. you're right. We didn't mention her when talking about the characters but we kind of even though we no i don't think we referenced poison ivy as who voiced her in that first movie she just appeared but we did the mm. thing where we went through the cast in part one where normally like if it's a single film oh, you wouldn't do it again yeah. halfway through would you she was like a new character yeah so i'm glad i'm glad that by doing trivia you got to name checker cool 
And that's it for our review of Batman The Long Halloween Part 2. Please go subscribe and download this podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. And please leave us a review. It helps listeners just like you find the podcast. We're on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as That Film Stew Podcast. And we also have our companion shows, Rewind and Review and Sounds Like Comics, which each have their own Facebook pages. All our episodes can be found on our website, thatfilmstewpodcast.com. If you missed it, we recently celebrated our 300th episode looking back at the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1. And be sure to check out our recent review of Jungle Cruise. You've been listening to Jason and Luke, the guys from that film stew. See you soon.